Hello and welcome to Runway Girl Network In Conversation, a deep dive into aviation and the passenger experience. I'm RGN Deputy Editor John Walton, and today I'm in conversation with aviation journalist Gesha Vupa, joining me from Paris today. With a lot of news in European aviation this month, we're talking about Air France, June, Flybe, drones and Brexit, and we will try to cover it all. But first, thanks to our sponsor. In Conversation is brought to you by Bolteron, a Simona company, purveyor of high-performance thermoplastics for tomorrow's aircraft interiors. Specialising in an extensive range of film and sheet products tailored to the requirements of the aerospace industry, Bolteron is dedicated to providing consistent, high-quality materials, advanced performance solutions, and meeting evolving trends in aircraft interior design. Learn more at boltaron.com. Now, Gesha, for those of our listeners who don't know you, why don't you introduce yourself? Yes. Hi, John. So first of all, thank you very much for, for joining, have me join in here. And um, I'm actually, I'm based in Paris and uh, since uh, already 16 years now, and I work as a business uh, correspondent for German daily Die Welt and for the financial newspaper Börsenzeitung. And one of my main topics is the aviation industry, as it's very, very important for the, the French economy. And I love it, in fact. So um, I write a lot about Airbus and regularly about Air France as well. And I'm also a member of the, the French Aviation Journalist uh, Association, AGPAE, where we regularly have people like CEOs from from companies from the aviation sector or other experts. Fantastic. Well, this year in European aviation certainly seems to have started as it finished. Small airlines continuing to go bust or to be absorbed into bigger ones, drones closing major London airports, and of course the huge uncertainty about the impact of Brexit. Uh, a very happy new year to us all. Um, let's let's start with airlines. Um, the, the latest breaking news uh, today is that Virgin Atlantic will be returning to domestic and European flights with its plan to, fly, to buy Flybe uh, in conjunction with its partner Stobart Air, um, which many may know as Air Iran. It operates uh, regional flights on ATRs and Embraer EJETs for, if memory serves, Aer Lingus, Flybe and British Airways, uh, together with the Cyrus Capital Partners. Now, the deal is valued at, uh, frankly, astounding £2.2 million. Pounds. That's million with an M. Um, I'm pretty sure that the planes that they have are more, worth more than that. Gesha, what's your take on this takeover? Yeah, like you said, it, it's it's a very astonishing price. It's it's quite cheap, at at least it seems to be, because that means uh, they will only pay one pence per per stock, per share, and that's uh, a discount I read of about ninety four percent of the the the, the last um, the last uh, closing price uh, of Flybe stocks on Thursday. But on the other hand, then I think they, they will inject uh, some money into it. And uh, I read it was about 20 million pounds mm -hmm. to provide li liquidity. So it's, it's not only the price, it's also the investments they will make. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it's going to be really interesting to see Virgin re-entering this, this market because the signs are that they're going to be uh, operating it with a Virgin uh, branded, Virgin marketed um, uh, carrier uh, that, that we assume at this point is called Virgin Atlantic. Um, now, of course, the last time that Virgin tried that was with Little Red, 
um, which was its uh, Aer Lingus operated uh, A320 family. I believe they had A320s and not just A319s um, uh, out of Heathrow. And that was the base. The basis of that was, if memory serves, remedial slots coming off um, from British Airways purchase of BMI uh, earlier this decade. Um, and Virgin couldn't make it work then, so it'll be interesting to see whether they make it work now. Um, not so much for the Heathrow slots. I mean, Flybe has um, uh, a, a few slots here and there operating domestically within the UK uh, up to Scotland. Um, you know, not not in fairness that a um, you know sub one hundred seater jet is the best use of a London Heathrow slot, um, but but there you go. Um, but I think it's going to be really interesting to see how Virgin uses that to drive connectivity outside Heathrow. Um, mm-hmm. You know, particularly at, at airports like Gatwick and Manchester and Glasgow, um, it, it already has a partnership, of course, with EasyJet to do just that. Um, so it'll be it'll be really interesting for me to see how those because you know Flybe and EasyJet overlap on a number of routes. It'll be really interesting to see how that that partnership and and those passenger flows change over time. And what do you think about the them? They they want to rename Flybe into uh, Virgin Atlantic. What do you think about that? Because uh, Flybe is really a very well known brand, no? Isn't it? it? Yeah, but it's not necessarily well known for good. Um, I end up flying Flybe relatively frequently. Um, they're the they're one of the uh, airlines that will get me to um, bits of the UK that aren't Heathrow um, from from here in Lyon, um, and. You know, I've just, I've, it's been on the decline, Gesha. Um, I flew um, on Flybe back for, for, for Christmas to visit my folks. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was the worst flight of the year, um, which is impressive oh. because there's not a lot of time that you have in the, you know, hour and a half from Lyon to London. But it was, it was a variety of things. It was just the sort of um, cabin crew who just really weren't interested in being there. Um, you know, it's the sort of bored sounding announcements. It's the... Um, you know, cabin crew are here for your safety, and then we'll also try and sell you things. Um, you know, not in quite as many words, but almost. Um, and then on arrival, it was it was bizarre. Um, I, you know, we, we landed in Birmingham and were held um, at our gate. Uh, well, not not a gate, it's a hard stand. Um, okay. And and prevented from disembarking. And the only reason I know that 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 was what it was. Um, was because I heard the flight attendant literally shouting out of the door at the ground service uh, personnel um, how you know cross she was that this was happening again and it happens every week and she was fed up of apologising to passengers. So anyone who wasn't within shouting distance of the door didn't really hear anything of that. Everyone was just standing in the aisles. You know, and we could have been told to sit back down because it's going to be a 20-minute wait. But, okay. but, but no, so it was... It, and, and it was just a bit... Um, you know the, the the Birmingham passenger experience is a bit shonky anyway, but um, you know it's the kind of thing where you walk down the steps, literally right next to a jet bridge, and then you walk up the steps that are attached to the jet bridge, um, rather than just moving the jet bridge. And I realise that you have to have a jet bridge operator to do that, and that's mm-hmm. a cost. But it just felt a bit, you know, it just stuck in the stuck in the old craw a little bit there. Um, I, what's what's your take on the branding situation? Yeah, I thought that Flybe is is really very well known. But on the other hand, it's I can understand that they want to use the Virgin Atlantic brand if they they want to use it as a, you know, to to feed uh, their their other flights. And I mean, it makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, do you ever fly it out of Paris? 
No, sorry, I didn't. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, mean, <laughs> I think a long, long, long time ago I flew with Flybe, but it's really, it's years ago. So, yeah. I mean, so normally, you know, I, I use, when I, I go back to Germany, I use, uh, in general, I use Air France. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's interesting because um, Flybe and Air France had a relatively strong partnership as well. So it's, it'll be interesting to see how that, how that develops. Um, particularly in the context of Delta, um, which of course is the, mm-hmm. the the controlling owner essentially of Virgin Atlantic, um, it will be it'll be interesting. Um, but of course, we, we we can't forget the the UK perspective here in in terms of the Virgin brand, um, which is largely positive but diminishing over recent years. Not necessarily Virgin Atlantic, but other parts of the Virgin family. I mean, you had the East Coast train operator. Um, up the East Coast mainline, Virgin Trains East Coast, um, which essentially gave back its um, its its franchise to run the one run the trains because it couldn't make any money, um, and they've also been catching flack for their operations in the private healthcare sector. Um, people in the UK are, are very fond of the National Health Service in particular, and um, the, the the work that Virgin has been doing has not been getting. Um, particularly positive press. Um, people feel that, that they're, you know, um, taking too much money out of the health service and not giving enough back. And um, it's, 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 so it's been really interesting to see from a, from a wider Virgin point of view how this brand does. Um, and indeed, how you manage to inject some of that, you know, Virgin Atlantic glam into what are essentially very unglamorous turboprops and, you know, small Embraer e-jets. Um, mm. Flying on, you know, an hour, couple hour flights. Um, it'll be it'll be interesting to see how that how that what's possible there. Um, now, what's your take, Gesha, on whether Christine Omiel's Widner will continue to uh, continue to be a part of the new Flybe or the new Virgin Atlantic? Oh, I think it's too early to say, really. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, I won't take a bet. <laughs> yeah. No, 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 no. F- fair enough. Um, but uh, but yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting to see. I mean, we it, there are there are so few women CEOs that it would be um, it'll be very interesting to see where she where, where she lands, whether she uh, she she stays at Flybe uh, slash Virgin Atlantic, or whether she um, takes off for passes new, as it were. Um, now, so uh, yeah, the 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 ownership of this new. Um, this new airline, this new subsidiary, um, I believe it's called the Connect Airways Partnership, Connect Airways Limited or something, is going to be 30% Virgin Atlantic, 30% Stobart Group, um, best known for their lorries, um, strangely, but um, will also absorb Stobart Airways into this new group. Um, plus uh, Cyrus, the, 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 the um, uh, what is it, is a hedge fund, if memory serves. Mm-hmm. Um, so that'll be really interesting to see how that works particularly given that you know delta will obviously be a player there um delta itself has been you know dipping its toe into um expanding operations in the uk um and of course with with the the, the question of brexit um, it'll be interesting to see how um how just how much the uk can be a uh, a, a transit point for for the us for a lot of the um uh, a, a lot of the passengers and and a lot of the routes that, that they're looking at here um, you know, it'll be interesting to see also whether um, uh, Stobart Air uh, continues to operate for Aer Lingus, which is, of course, in the IAG stable with British Airways. Mm. Um, so, yeah, um, there aren't a huge number of these smaller airlines um, operating ATRs and so on that have, um, that, that have the ability to, to do that for Aer Lingus. So it'll be interesting to see what they, what they end up with. 
That's absolutely right. Yes, I think um, it's it's very fascinating. <laughs> mm, yeah, yeah. It'll, it's uh, certainly certainly get some column inches out of that one. <laughs> um, now, speaking of of small airlines disappearing, um, June, everybody's favourite rooftop bar, the airline for millennials, or the Air France uh, testing laboratory, whichever one of the many. Um, uh, marketing lines you you believe um, will be reabsorbed into Air France. Um, uh, new uh, Air France KLM CEO Benjamin Smith has announced. Um, now this came in the context of the uh, announcement that they have secured an agreement with the flight attendant unions, which is of course a huge part of the, um, the the wider problem with Air France in terms of profitability, um, in terms of uh, of, of transformation of the legacy carrier into a more, more nimble, more modern uh, uh, operation. And uh, yeah, it is, um, it is interesting to see this um, uh, June disappear. That's right. <laughs> but on the other hand side, I think it makes sense because it was really, I mean, Air France, they, they, they were too late maybe with a real, uh, you know, low cost airline. And on the other hand, when they announced June, they didn't want to, it to be a real low-cost airline. They said, okay, it's, it's not as pricey as Air France, but it's not a low-cost airline. So that was quite bizarre as a positioning, I think. And, yeah. and on the other hand side, I can, uh, I can also understand uh, Ben Smith, who apparently says there are too many brands already with Air France because you have uh, Air France KLM because you have Air France, yes, you. you have KLM, and then you have the, the French regional airline, which is called Hop. Mm-hmm. And then you have Transavia, the, the low-cost airline. Yeah, which well. operates in both France and the Netherlands. Yeah, um, and started in the Netherlands. I mean, yeah. it's much more active in the Netherlands than yeah. in France because of the, as you know, because of the trade unions here mm-hmm. in France. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. <laughs> so I think he, he's, he's right maybe to to say okay maybe too too many different brands and and we have to be a bit more clear and and apparently he wants to now to to position air france again as a like a luxury brand and mm-hmm. um because uh like like uh, the former um, CEO of Air France KLM, uh, Alexandre de Juniac, who also was counting on the fact that Air France stands for uh, the, the l'art de vivre à la française mm-hmm. and the gastronomy and uh, all these things. Uh, so, so, I quoi, we could even say, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh, apparently he, w- he wants to, to, to do this again to position it really as more luxury and and as a French lifestyle brand. Yeah, I mean I I I feel like I support that as 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 the best way forward for Air France. I mean um obviously France has um you know and particularly Air France has very strong unions um and that's you know by and large a good thing for employees of course. Um but it but it has meant that the airline has not been able to cut costs as significantly as, as with other airlines. Um, June, of course, was this very strange thing where the pilots were, were regular old Air France pilots just flying planes with a different livery. But the cabin crew were, you know, running around in sneakers and, and uh, sweaters and, and, and just looking a little bit, 
you know trying to be too cool for school um and and you know that if if and really the only change was um you know business class on some routes like lisbon didn't get a hot meal they got a cold meal um but basically everything else was still air france and so there wasn't really a i mean people didn't have a choice i mean what was happening the entire routes were just getting handed over to june lock stock mm-hmm. um and of course you know airlines are very bad at branding um, Jason Rabinowitz was talking about he and his folks met somebody on holiday when they were in South Africa who thought that the, the, the passenger thought they were flying Delta from uh, South Africa to uh, Paris, but it wasn't Delta. It wasn't even Air France. It was June. Oh, really? Um, okay. <laughs> he, he, yeah. So it's like operated by June by Air France, no, by June for Air France for Delta. Um, it was one of those really complicated sort of nested passenger experience situations, which... I just, I'm, I'm just skeptical of those. It just, it doesn't strike me as a good way to, to set the right expectations with your passengers. Um, but I, I, I think that Air France has the opportunity to go luxurious. Um, you know, La Première, their first class is of course still excellent. Um, they have one of the most renowned uh, ground services in the world, if not the most renowned. Um, you know that that they've got a you know a fantastic restaurant, a lovely lounge. You know car transfers. Mm. Um, the seats are, if not, you know they're not exactly overwhelming in their in in their luxury. Um, I'm not entirely convinced by this sort of pull across polyester curtain situation. Um, mm-hmm. But you know there's there's a, there's a decent um, you know there's, there's still a decent market for first class there. Business class um, obviously have been upgrading there seats recently um you know they've got a lot of uh zodiac cirrus and they they like finna have been quite smart in taking a relatively uh bare bones version which exhibits fewer of the quality and production issues that that cirrus has been facing um and they're also taking for the um for their more more leisure routes uh, they're going to be taking zodiac optima which is of course the base product for the united polaris seat um because uh, Air France has a has this um, subset of routes which are very much visiting friends and relatives, uh, holiday routes. You know, you're you're looking at places like um, to the the French Caribbean, to Réunion, um, across the Pacific to um, uh, Tahiti and to New Caledonia. Um, that sort of um, you know uh, long haul but low but um, uh, low yielding market. Um, mm-hmm. If if not low cost, which of course they they have significant competition on already. But speaking about the you know the the seats, uh, apparently um, according to to La Tribune, uh, Ben Smith uh, sent uh, a letter to 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 staff, and he told them that he also wants to to simplify the 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 configurations of the of the planes because he says. Apparently, he says that there are different planes, you know, on 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 the same uh, long haul routes mm-hmm. with different uh, configurations in the cabins. And yeah. apparently, he wants to also to simplify this and to 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 well to put on more premium first class, uh, uh, business class, and premium economy seats on the. Yeah. The long haul. yeah, which which would make a lot of sense. Um, yeah, you know, uh, obviously Air France had the well had slash has the A three eighty as its flagship notionally, but its business class is terrible. I mean, it has those those awful old angled lie flat yeah. seats, which are you know, 
um, at least 20, well, they're exactly 20 years out of date this year. Um, the, the Virgin <laughs> Atlantic J2000 seat debuted then, and uh, uh, next year it'll be 20 years since the uh, British Airways' first fully flatbed in business class. So those, those are well past their time. Um, so I think that, that's, that, that, that article in La Tribune, um, I, I do take it with a pinch of salt. I think that, that he's flagging some things internally around um, the, uh, the, the requirements that he's going to be wanting for the cabin crew in terms of service standards and service quality. Um, mm-hmm. Well, he is obviously also talking about you know, literal seats. Um, and that, the A380 is essentially the one there that I think um, makes the most sense to look at very strongly. Um, there's, there is no reason why those planes should not be... Um, should not be refurbished sooner rather than later with a with a reasonable business class product. Um, yeah, I agree. Yeah, yeah, and and Air France has to keep the A380, of course. I mean, not just politically, but because it, it has roots like you know, New York JFK, um, like Los Angeles, which are still incredibly high demand, um, and you know it makes much more sense for for, for from a um, from a from a cost efficiency point of view to simply operate one A380 rather than um, two two triple sevens. Um, but I, I'm. One of the things that I find is really interesting here is if he's making Air France, you know, from his position as an Air France KLM CEO, if he's making Air France go up market, what then happens to KLM? Um, you know, you may recall that I was talking to uh, Utica de Jong um, from, uh, from the Netherlands a, a few episodes ago. And, you know, one of the things that she was saying is that, you know, KLM feels very much like the slightly left behind stepchild of the Air France KLM group. So mm-hmm. it'll, be, it'll be interesting to, and, and you know, in many ways has had the stronger in-flight brand, stronger in-flight service, um, and, and certainly has had the, the, the better operational and, and profitability situation um, the, compared with Air France. So it'll be really interesting to see how Air France KLM, the, 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 the wider group, um, plays these two airlines together. Because for most routes in Europe, um, you have connectivity via either Paris or the Netherlands um, to where you're going. And it'll be really interesting to me whether or not they try and um, get, get a, a dual brand market segmentation strategy going. Um, KLM, of course, on, on the aircraft has uh, still quite a lot of um, the Collins Aerospace Diamond seating, which doesn't offer direct aisle access um, on, a, on a substantial portion of its fleet. Um, it does have um, the, uh, if it's got a number of uh, outward-facing herringbones. I know it's got some Cirrus, and I believe, but don't quote me on this, that it's also got some, um, or it's got or is taking some Jamco um, essential photocopies of Cirrus. Um, so it'll be really interesting to see how that evolves as well. Um, you know, whether they're able to segment the markets, um, you know, making Air France the premium carrier and KLM the... I don't want to say slightly less premium carrier, but certainly slightly less luxurious, more um, more workmanlike and efficient, rather than um, rather than quite so oulala um, with with Air France. It'll be it'll be fascinating to see how how Ben Smith works that. Um, but but I must say I'm I'm impressed that he's managed to get uh, agreement with the um, the flight attendant unions quite so quickly. Yeah, that's right. I'm I'm absolutely impressed as well, because it's it's really a hard job he he took over there at yeah. France KLM. Yeah. Because you know he's he's the first foreigner I think to 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 be at the head of the mm-hmm. of the whole group. Normally it were they were always French <laughs> French guys. Yeah. And yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> and uh, I, I, I don't know. In the past, I said everybody who wants to 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 be the CEO of Air, Air France KLM must be suicidaire, you know, because uh, yeah. because of the French unions. <laughs> they are so well, difficult. Well, I mean, you remember when you know Air France executives had literally had their shirts ripped off trying to get to a meeting. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, it, it is. It is very much the poison chalice. Um, and I, I, uh, I tell you, Gesha, when he, you remember he did that, um, he recorded that video to to the um, the staff of Air France when he arrived, um, uh, and it was in French. Um, but he, I, I feel like he could have used a little bit of French accent training. It was a little bit, you know, bonjour, je m'appelle Ben Smith, le nouveau PDG de Air France KLM, <laughs> um, and and you know, which is all all very well and good, and and you know, um, good on him for for having a go. But I just, I, I was, I wasn't sure of the optics there. I wasn't sure whether that was going to be the. Oh wait, he's he's too foreign, right? Um, and I realise that I say this as as the the two of us in France as non-French people commenting on French aviation. Um, but it, but it's it's an interesting it's an interesting transition for for Air France to to be um, to to be led by somebody who is who is not French. Yeah, absolutely, and uh, I think he's very courageous. And um, and you know, as a as a non-French here, everybody in France tells me, "Oh, keep your accent." <laughs> it's <laughs> nice to have an accent. So, so I think he you know he can he can he can uh, well. Yeah, hope he keeps his accent and <laughs> indeed his shirts. Yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, changing tack entirely and, and crossing the channel. Um, let's let's talk about drones. Um, this this was a, a, a fascinating, um, um, worrying, bizarre, um, very dark humour kind of situation. Um, so London Gatwick, just before Christmas, of course, was closed for you know, days by reports of drones, um, after which um, there were any number of reports about whether or not these drones in fact existed. Um, two poor people were arrested and subsequently named um, and turned out to be entirely innocent. Um, this this was oh, what what a what a what a nightmare um, because we're in a situation where you know, publicly available drone drones are not necessarily having to be registered. Um, certainly not in the UK. Um, there's uh, a very limited number of ways that you can take down a drone, um, and you know, it's the, there is this existing need for, for, for further regulation. Um, but in the meantime, it's kind of a, a wild west out there. Um, Gesha, have you been have you been following this this drone situation? What What's your take on it? Yeah, but uh, <laughs> I think it <laughs> this this uh, problem problems uh, with drones, they they will be more important everywhere in Europe. And you're absolutely right. There need to ha- to be more regulations, and maybe the the uh, that that people even even flying small drones have to register. But uh, till now, there there are no plans for that. I think the the new regulations in Europe, they don't ask people um, who own small drones to register for it. Yeah. So I think they really have to to work on this, and the other thing uh, which I think about, well, like you said, it's it's very very difficult to to um, destroy the drones flying over airports mm-hmm. because uh, it's yeah, it's very limited, and apparently the systems to to protect airports they are very. Hmm, <laughs> Quite difficult as well. Yeah, 
And then the next problem is also who will pay for the systems to protect airports from drones? Yeah. Yeah. Um, do we have to ask the governments of the of the different countries? Um, do we have to ask the airports themselves, or can they ask the airlines to participate mm -hmm. because they are affected as well? So I think there. Yeah. Do we need the drone makers? You know, do we need a, a specific um, charge on drones to be redirected towards aviation safety and, and management of this problem? Um, I think so. I, I, you know, I, that's, that seems to me a very logical situation. Um, you know, if you, you're not going to be able to for, for too much longer um, to avoid having this kind of um, this kind of situation um, where, where you've got to, to, to figure out something to do. Um, and and yeah, I mean, obviously the the, the reports of these drones were um, there were the, and the, the subsequent reports at Heathrow um, were that they were larger than um, you know your, your your basic you know the thing that you might find under the the holiday tree um, as as a as, as a present you know there's a um, industrial um, sized drones that, you know you might use for uh, applications like photography or firefighting or similar um, mm -hmm. but it's and it's very interesting to see. Um, just how just how cagey certainly the UK was about saying exactly what its capabilities were in terms of anti-drone um, technology and tactics. Um, you know the and, and and following the Heathrow situation, it's been interesting to see how the UK government has been very clear that it is not going to be the one paying for them, um, and it's not going to be one that um, is is deploying the military to airfields every you know every few weeks or every few days. Um, that that uh, the thing that you know, um, airports are private corporations and need to fund this themselves. Um, so, and that that will be interesting for in, in a number of countries, both those where airports are privatised and where they are not. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see uh, in those countries where airports are not privatised but are, are state-run, even if a fully state-run company, whether um, the the governments take a different tack in terms of. Um, protecting airspace against drones than in countries where there is uh, well, well, where all or most of the airports are indeed privately owned. Um, so yes, I'm not sure we've got we've got any answers on this one whether or not there were indeed drones, um, or or whether or not you know people were um, engaged in some sort of bizarre mass hysteria that that if anything else summed up the the the, the current world and cultural zeitgeist. Um, yeah, it's it's a it's a fascinating one, and it's it's something that I think we're all going to be um, encountering much more in in twenty nineteen. Not least because people now know that a medium to large sized drone can close an airport. Yes, but on the other hand side, you know, um, I can understand that they 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 shut it down because the threat by mm. drones is yeah. real. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah. Oh, you don't want an airline taking a drone to, into to, an engine to be shut down than than yeah. to to have an accident with a plane and a drone. I mean, yeah. No, absolutely. I mean, it, it, it was the right call in terms of safety. Um, but I'm but but I'm still I'm not sure what the what the actual solution is to this problem. Um, and it'll be it'll be interesting to see. It'll be interesting to see what um, uh, what, what what they look at in terms of um, in terms of making that a uh, making that better. Um, Meanwhile, in the UK, <laughs> um, Brexit appears to be going nowhere quickly. Um, we are in a situation where we're, you know, just over 70 days until the notional 
uh, date where the United Kingdom leaves the European Union under its uh, present uh, legislation and present um, submission of Article 50, which is the uh, legal instrument by which a country leaves the EU. Um, Gesha, where do airlines stand at the moment in terms of um, in terms of both a, the the very poorly received transitional deal that Theresa May is trying to push through Parliament, and indeed in the case of No Deal Brexit? I think they absolutely don't know, like like everybody else. It's <laughs> it's a complete uncertainty. <laughs> uh, nobody knows what what's what's going to happen, and that's horrible. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and and they 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 need to 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 know. I mean, they they need to plan. Everybody needs to plan. It's the same for companies, for other companies uh, than airlines. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, we're we're well into the um, the, the 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 scheduling season um, at this point. So um, I think airlines have largely just said, well, we'll we'll operate, well, we'll, we'll try to operate what we're scheduling. Um, but that represents a huge risk for for a number of airlines. Um, you know, there's um, in the in the notional withdrawal document we've got situations where um, you know basically the um, everything has been copied across. But um, in the event of no deal Brexit, who knows? Um, you know, I can't. Well, the number of times I've said I can't think that about something in Brexit and then it's gone ahead and happened. Um, but I find it really difficult to think that there will not be some sort of pragmatic, um, pragmatic approach to aviation, if not to, um, to so many of the other you know, markedly uh, uh, more life-affecting situations like residency and so on for, um, for you know, some, some five, six million people who are caught up in this. Um, but uh, yeah, um, you, did you see um, Tom Enders in, in, in London recently um, speaking about the impact to Airbus? Uh, I, I I wasn't there, but uh, I I read about it, and, <laughs> and I I know he pleaded again for an agreement with Brussels, that that Great Britain should do an agreement because he also says uh, that it's horrible that the this uncertainty over the terms of Brexit and yeah. it's unbearable for for hours, yes, yeah. because you know they are very very big in in, in the UK. I think they are even the the biggest uh, aviation uh, company, maybe mm-hmm. in the UK. Yeah. Was yeah. I think they uh, employ around uh, fifteen thousand people, and they make all their wings for all the the aircrafts from Airbus there. Yeah. So it's it's really important, and they have to yeah they have to take their preparations and and um, if there will be no deal, then the the competitiveness of the the UK sites. Uh, will um be under threat yeah and yeah and that would will be a threat as well for the whole company so yeah exactly i mean you know they've already spent um you know even if even if nothing happens they've spent um tens of millions of of euros at this point in terms of um you know preparations and and that will only accelerate as we get closer and closer um you know when when in terms of you know having the right number of parts um to to avoid uh, shutdowns a bit, uh, the, the, when the just-in-time deliveries can't can't occur, and when um, you know customers' borders are in, in, incurred, um, yeah, it's it's a it's very worrying. I mean, both for for Airbus and for the UK. I mean, what's what's your take on whether Airbus would keep the wings in the UK after uh, after Brexit, or would it bring it to France, Germany, Spain, elsewhere in Europe? 
It all de it depends on on <laughs> how the Brexit will <laughs> will affect the, the the competitiveness. But I think it will be very difficult to 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 you know to organize all this yeah. because all the wing production is there, and then I I I even can't guess how long it would take to to uh, to transfer it to other sites. Yeah. So I, I, it could take. Well, I don't know. At least some months uh, to till years. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, well, not in the beginning, but I think if maybe the 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 competitiveness is really, 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 really <laughs> damaged by the Brexit, mm. the the competitiveness of the UK sites, um, then maybe they they in the long term they they will think about something. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, I I mean it would. It would make sense. I mean, you have to, as a company, you have to 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 look uh, yes at yeah. the competitiveness of your yeah. sites and where yeah. you produce. And <laughs> absolutely, um, and of course, you know, Brexit has other um, other impacts. Um, you know, IAG has been told um, very recently that it's um, it may face problems in terms of its ownership situation, um, where it's got. You know, uh, European airlines in Brit in uh, Iberia and Aer Lingus and mm -hmm. Welling, and then British Airways in the UK. Um, there are there are direct human impacts, of course. Um, UK passport holders travelling to Europe will, like any other third country national, now need passports with six months of validity. That's something that that um, came out recently as one consequence. So people, you know, that's um, a, a direct personal issue and that will of course impact on the passenger experience as people aren't used to having had that having to have that and people will be turned away from flights because they they they, they haven't obeyed the um the, the regulations for the for, for third party nationals um and it's all it's all just very uncertain still um you know i can't believe that we don't have much more clarity now than when i talked to tim robertson of the royal aeronautical society about brexit in you know uh, november uh, 2017 you know, over a year ago, um, you know, we left that one with essentially a big throw up of our hands and shrug and say we have no idea what's going to happen, and we still don't. Um, you know, we yeah. don't have a workable deal. Um, no deal still seems um, like a terrible, terrible option. But but yeah, I, we I don't see anything um, and anything any, any other way out of it apart from you know that the UK has some sort of second referendum. Um, and and decides that this was a, all a terrible mistake, and that the last two years have been a, you know, an exercise in in potential national suicide, and that we probably don't want to go ahead and do that. But um, yeah, it's 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 all a all a bit of a nightmare. But do you think it's possible to do a second referendum? I do. Um, I, I you know, and, and not just um, because personally, I think it's it's always a good idea. You know, if you were going to. Um, if you were buying a house and it turned out that the house was about to fall down and um, it wasn't in fact the uh, idyllic uh, rural retreat that your estate agents, um, Messrs Johnson, Ledsom and Gove, had sold you, um, you, you might have the opportunity to say, well, actually, do I really want to purchase this house after all? Um, and I think on that principle, it makes a lot of sense to um, to, to go back to, to the public with any... Um, with, with any deal um, and to give them the opportunity now to say to say no um, actually the, the the pack of lies that we were sold has not in fact um, turned out to be anything but a pack of lies um, you know and the the primary well, one of the primary campaigns um, broke electoral law 
and in many ways there's an argument that that should invalidate the referendum and it should be rerun in any route. Um, you know, there's there's a, a significant amount of concern about um, the role of um, uh, dark money in terms of political advertising, um, mm-hmm. Facebook in particular. Um, you know, the work of Cambridge Analytica has also come under significant um, yeah. significant question. Um, I, I think it's a reasonable thing to, to, to be looking at, but of course the, the clock is ticking. Um, the UK government decided to make the clock tick and and so it is it is ticking um this would of course not be the first country to to you know have had a referendum that said yeah we want to to move away from the eu and then the government went away looked at it and said well that's really difficult and disastrous i mean switzerland had had something very similar um so uh, you know the the number of um which treaty was it the lisbon treaty the number of countries that uh had a referendum that said, oh, not entirely sure. And then the government said, well, this is, this is what we think is the best way forward. Um, yeah, I, 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 I think and indeed I hope that, um, that the UK will come to its senses, not just for, for aviation, but for the, for the wider good of, of society, the wider good of Europe and, and the, um, the wider good of the UK. But, um, mm. but yes, I've been proved wrong before on this counts. <laughs> Let's hope that it... <laughs> It does not, it does not happen yeah, again. Let's 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 cross our fingers. Indeed, indeed. <laughs> and on that rather rather cheery note, um, that is it for today's conversation. Uh, we certainly hope you enjoyed it, listeners, and we're always keen to find out what you think. Please feel free to email me at john at runwaygirlnetwork.com with any suggestions. Thank you also to our guest, Gesha Vupa. Gesha, where can listeners find you and your work? Yeah, I'm I'm on Twitter as well <laughs> as uh, Gesha W <laughs> and. Uh... And uh, then you can find my work on, on the, the internet sites of uh, DVELT, which is called W-E-L-T, and uh, on Börsenzeitung, but uh, that's behind a paywall. It's, uh, well, that's more difficult. It's B-O-E-R-S-E-N-Z-E-I-T-U. <laughs> N G. Well, wow. What a, yes. <laughs> <laughs> what a long word. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, but yeah. So if 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 you're uh, a subscriber to um, Burson Saitung, then you'll you'll already know Gesh's work. I'm I'm sure. And as ever, you can find me on Twitter at that John, and everything from RGN on Twitter at Runway Girl, and of course at RunwayGirlNetwork.com. If you're enjoying these conversations, please leave a rating and review wherever you get your podcasts. And thanks for listening. <laughs>